Okay, welcome everyone to the Strategy Wargamers podcast. Uh, this episode we're featuring the renowned special guest John Tiller um, of John Tiller Games. Welcome, John. How you doing? Thank you, John. Proud to be here. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate you coming on the show. You're kind of like a, a legend in the uh, gaming community. Well, maybe one of the old timers may be another way of saying it. <laughs> well, you definitely left the mark on the uh, gaming community. I, uh, that's why I wanted to get you on the show because... Um, I mean, your games of, uh, I mean, when, when did you start making games um, uh, for strategy wargaming? Well, you know, I started back in uh, 1995. Uh, before then, I mean, for many years I had played uh, traditional board games like a lot of people of my generation, but uh, got increasingly interested in computer games and then started in 1995 with Talonsoft back in, uh, in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and that's how the original Battleground series got started. Oh, wow. So you, I remember Talonsoft. They were, uh, I, they didn't. Uh, I think they didn't make it into the uh, after the nineties, right? Well, they had sort of their best times back in the late nineties. There was a great group of guys there. Most of them came from uh, Avalon Hill, Charlie Kibler, Bob McNamara, people like that, and headed up by Jim Rose. And it, it went on for a number of years and had some great success with things like the Battleground Games and the Campaign series, and then was acquired by. Take Two Interactive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember they made some. Uh, as you said, the Battleground series. That was the what really attracted me to them. <laughs> yeah, um, it was kind of interesting at the time. It was a Windows-based game at a lot of time at a time when most people were having uh, developing DOS-based games, and so it had some success relative. That had a really nice 3D isometric view, uh, which in its time was uh, uh, kind of interesting, and so. It went on for nine games, and after that, then uh, we transitioned to the campaign series, and that had about three releases and went on for a while. And then I left and went on and did other things shortly after that. Um, so before we could dive a little bit more into uh, current day, um, I just wanted to ask you, um, where did it all start? I mean, uh, you've been making games for uh, 20 years, um, so I can imagine um, it definitely had a profound impact on your life. Um, when, how did you get into strategy wargaming? Um, as a recreation? Well, it started when I was younger, and, and I, I took the opportunity of bringing some props, you might say. I actually have the first war game I ever played. I can show you. This oh, isn't wow. the, the actual awesome. game, but it's representative. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, wow. That, That's that cool. happens to be a, a, a copy of Avalon Hill's D-Day game. I opened up the box. Uh, this, is, this is a re-release that happened, I think, in the 70s, but I opened up the box earlier today. And I looked, and the, uh, the the documentation reads 1965. So at some time about that, wow. I started playing uh, war games, and it was immediately hooked. That went on for about 20 years, and uh, uh, as time went on, you know, war games, uh, Avalon Hill, Strategic uh, uh, SPI, Strategic Publications, and, and uh, they the games became increasingly uh, detailed and it got into the to the era of the uh, the monster game. Now this precedes a lot of the people probably that are watching, but some of them I know will recognize it. I actually have a little quiz here for you. This <laughs> this was the ultimate war game that I ever played as a traditional board game, and I'm going to show you the map. Oh wow, it must be big. <laughs> yeah, that is. Oh, wow. I don't know how much of that you can see. Yeah, that's but, beautiful. That is one map, and there are actually nine of these oh, wow. associated with this game. I'm going to tell you which game it is in a little bit. But that, that if you put out all nine maps, that would occupy an entire room. And there was a time in my life when taking an entire room and setting up a war game like that, I actually built a, a custom table that fit those nine maps, including the A map, which stuck out. And, and, and the people who know what I'm talking about know about the A map, the A map turned out to be Spain, and it stuck out from the rest of Europe. But I actually had a table with that whole game set up. It took weeks to set it up. And about that time, I started a family and having children. And, and the idea of devoting an entire room to a war game uh, became just uh, um, infeasible. So it's about that time that I started thinking, you know what? If I'm going to play the kind of games that I want to play, this is going to have to transition to the computer. So about that time, I started developing on the computer, and at those days, you know, a computer was like a, a 286. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was uh, explaining to my wife the other day, I said, you know, back then, 
when you did computer graphics, a tilde was water, a star was like forest, like a period was like a sand. Oh, that, wow. That's what passed for graphics on the 286 <laughs> wow. back in the day. So um, that went on for a, a while, and I got increasingly uh, more elaborate, went into X Windows and did real graphics and that kind of thing. And so then just prior to 1995, about 1994, I approached uh, Jim Rose with this concept for a game, and he was just on the verge of starting Talonsoft. And he said, you know what? Um, uh, I, this looks like a game I'd be interested in publishing. And so we got together in the first game, uh, uh, Battleground Ardennes came out in, in 1995 following a, a very intensive first year of development. Oh, wow. Oh, and wow. I, haven't, I haven't answered your question or my question yet. I actually have the box here. So for those of you that recognize this, here is the ultimate board war game of all time as far as I'm concerned. War in war, War in Europe, look at that. Nine maps. If you've got an entire room in your house to devote to a war game, <laughs> get a copy of this, set it up. You'll spend two weeks just setting up the units. It's, it's, that, that's fun, too, I think. <laughs> For wow, the, um, war games. When was that game made? Um, it must have been in the 80s or something, or maybe 70s. I, I don't remember. I didn't actually look at the copyright on this one. I've had it for years. It's all taped up. The box is all taped up. The, the maps are torn from having been taped together and, and taken apart so many times. I think I still have all the pieces. But uh, that that's where, you know, you, you see a game like that and you think, gosh, you know, it would, it would really work on a computer. And, in fact, if you look at my current offerings in the computer line, the um, the strategy, the um, war, uh, what I call it, war, Total War in Europe series, of which there are two releases actually is the, is the version of that today. If you look at the scale here, that's about a 30 kilometer hex, which is about as uh, detailed as you can get it on a paper map. If uh, you look at my games, I went actually down to 10 kilometers a hex, which gives you a lot better, finer detail, for example, in, in particular for like the Western Front. Hey, um, you called them, uh, what was the name of the game, uh, Strategic War? Uh, total War in Europe, I guess I, I call it, or strate yeah, Strategic War, if you're looking at my um, um, website, there is the um, Strategic War, yeah, Strategic War, of which there are two releases. So far we've done the, uh, the first Blitzkrieg, which is Poland, that kind of thing. War on the Southern Front is the Mediterranean. If you look at those games, if you look at the screenshots, or if you have those games, you'll see that there's definitely this this inspiration behind those kinds of games with a lot more detail, of course, as possible on the computer. Yeah, yeah if you go to, uh, for our viewers, if you go to johntillersoftware.com, uh, click uh, Strategic War on the uh, left-hand uh, link panel, you'll uh, find those two games. Um, they look kind of, they yeah, they look exactly almost like that map here. Um, um, I see uh, Libya here, Rommel's first offensive, that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, those games, let me mention at, that, at this time that those games, in addition, the, uh, the whole Panzer Campaign series, or most all of the Panzer Campaign series, was done by this incredible team I've been working with for over 10 years, uh, Glenn Saunders and Dave Blackie Blackburn. They, they both happen to be Canadian, by the way. <laughs> and uh, they did most of the Panzer Campaigns, and uh, they did those two releases in Strategic War. And the people who, who played my game, they'll know you know, Glenn and Blackie. Glenn and Blackie are all over Panzer campaigns and things like that. Blackie these days actually has moved on. Uh, he's now doing a lot of my uh, apps for me. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, for the uh, iPad? iPad, Kindle, uh, Android, tablet. I found a development approach that enables us to develop for all three simultaneously. So oh. that's working out really well. Yeah, that I wanted to leave to the end because I was kind of like, uh, I, I do have a couple other things before that I, I listed that though. Um, so um, I guess one other question that I had was, uh, what got you into, um, um, I, well actually, <laughs> you actually answered that, so before I go into that, um, out of all the games that you made from Squad Battles, Panzer Battles, um, and um, Strategic War, um, if you had to choose one as your like pride and joy, which one would that be? You know, that's that's a good question. Maybe this is a cop-out, uh, Jean, but I have to say, whichever one I just finished, 
And, and that, that's true because I get really wrapped up. And there was a time, I tell my wife, I get, uh, you know, these, uh, these obsessions. And at one time, I had a Midway obsession. And I had to finish Midway. And when Midway came out, that was the, the game I thought was the best game I ever uh, made. You mentioned Panzer Battles. That's another good topic to talk about today because it just came out about a week ago. And it's turning out to be a huge success. And that right now, of course, is the game I just love. Uh, but as I look at these different topics, each time all the way back from, oh, campaign 1776, the American Revolution game, there were times, like when I was doing uh, 1776 or uh, the War of 1812, I actually put a challenge out there that if anybody else can identify a computer game on the War of 1812, I like to think I've done the only one. <laughs> I think that yeah, there is actually because um, I'm a big fan of War of 1812. Uh, you know, um, historical uh, person. Um, I couldn't find any. Yours is actually the only game that I have actually found throughout uh, all these years. Well, during the time I was making it, again, I had another obsession about the War of 1812. And at the time, my daughters were younger, and I could uh, coerce them into things. I would take them out, and we would travel up to Canada, whether it was Revolutionary War, War of 1812, we would visit the battlefields all the way from you know, Guilford Courthouse up to Saratoga and the War of 1812 battle sites in Canada. And uh, my wife is uh, Canadian. I went to school in Canada, so I have kind of a connection there. But, uh, you know, we would go to all the, all the places like River Raisin uh, in Detroit. You can go there. It's just off the interstate. And all the uh, most of those battlefields are there. So at the time, those things would obsess me, and my daughters uh, kid me about that. Like I would take my daughters like to to Shiloh, uh, which is not far from where I live now. And there's Rugel's line there with this this grand row of uh, artillery. So I taught my my girls when again when they were little and impressionable, and you could do this before they became teenagers, of course. <laughs> I I taught them the, how to tell the difference between a rifled and a smoothbore cannon. And, you know, it's obvious. You just take your finger and you feel the inside of the barrel. And if it's rifled, it's rifled. If it's not, it's smoothbore. So, okay, they, they were willing to accept that. And then I, we went out to Rugel's line. I said, run down Rugel's line, and Daddy will give you a quarter for every rifled cannon that you find. Oh, they just thought that was great. And they ran down the line, counting the rifle. They came back kind of disappointed. Most of the cannon were smoothbore, but they had enough winnings. And then later, we all went for ice cream. But that's, that's the kind of thing I... My girls know all, all the battlefields and hopefully have fond memories, although one of my daughters once told me uh, recently that uh, she, she felt like she had a kind of a non-standard childhood to be a girl growing up who knew the difference between a rifle and a smooth horse. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, but uh, I hope she'll forgive me someday. <laughs> um, I just also, before we can see, I just want to let our viewers know, um, if you guys have any questions uh, on the left side of your uh, uh, window here, you can actually uh, click Q&A and post your own questions to John, um, just to give you a heads up on that um, as you get more and more people coming in. Um, so Midway is your pride and joy. Uh, um, well, at the time it was. That's my point, John, in that if you ask me today, I'd have to say, you know, uh, uh, a Panzer Battles just came out, Battles of Kirk's Southern Front. I have to mention you know, David Freer and Mike Avanzini. Uh, David Freer's a veteran. He did a couple of uh, Panzer campaigns. He's actually an Australian living in Singapore. Very uh, great guy, interesting guy. But he worked his heart out, and Mike as well, on that game. And if you look at it, it's like no other game I've been able to do in the last 10 years. The graphics, the detail, all that stuff that they put into it. And uh, it's, it's probably, right now, it's looking like it's shaping up to be the most successful game I've done in the last 10 years. It's gotten a lot of attention. People who look at the graphics will go, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. And uh, I might mention just as a teaser, there's three more of those games under development, one of which won't take too long to come out. I, I, I don't typically announce the actual names or anything. You know, there's kind of a sad thing in the industry where you go around and you find, oh, this game's been canceled, that game's been canceled. And I hate to, to raise people's hopes and then for whatever reason, have to announce later it didn't come to fruition. So, but I'll just say that there are three under development. One of which is, is not going to take too, that too long. And there's also a parallel series uh, I call Armor Battles, 
which hasn't been announced, and I don't know if many people know about, but that's bringing it forward to modern times. So then it's modern tank, M1 tanks and T-72s and that kind of thing. And all that's under development, I'll leave it at that. But I would have to say, if you picked any of my games, I would say at the time that game was being developed, it was my favorite game. Uh, okay, that's cool. Um, what was, uh, I mean, what was your inspiration to make these games? I mean, I know you mentioned that, you know, you have the board games, and your inspiration was because you wanted something that didn't take up the whole room. But um, I'm sure, you know, you have a 9-to-5 job, but what was kind of like, what pushed you to make these games? I think all of us who enjoy uh, war games, we have a, an interest in military history, maybe an interest in history in general, and so did I, military history. You want to know things. You want to figure things out. You know, if you read a book on the Battle of Gettysburg or something, you know, it talks about Longstreet's attack or Pickett's charge. And I'm the kind of person, and a lot of people are like this, where they say, well, wait a second. Now, where was everybody? Where were they situated? And, you know, how did they march? And where were they at a given time? And what was really the dynamics of, uh, of the battle? For example, if I throw out the Battle of Waterloo, there's an author who goes by the name of Al Nafi who has written a book on the Battle of Waterloo. And he doesn't just say that the cavalry charged against the British line. He goes in there, he identifies who it was, how many there were, what the frontage was, the squares, the, geograph uh, the you know, geography of the terrain. And you know that's the kind of person that I think I am in terms of, I just want to know the details. So if you're in a computer war game, or any war game for that matter, you can look at the details and you can say, this unit was here and it moved here and all the time and space issues become obvious. Um, before we end, uh, John, I want to make sure I identify as many people as I can that contribute to this effort because we're all kindred spirits in this. We all have the, you know, this interest of, of knowing these details in history. I have to mention Joe Amaral for one. Joe and I go way back. He's a Talonsoft veteran. He started with Avalon Hill. If you dig out the older games like Third Right and stuff, you'll find credits to him. And he's been working in this industry longer than I have. He's uh, he's now out in Arizona, and uh, and but he still is the engine probably behind the the graphics. I couldn't have done these games without Joe. And his uh, partner, you might say, is Mark Adams, who lives up in Michigan, and they've worked together for years. It turns out they kind of have personalities that work good together. So Joe and Mark have. Uh, uh, you know, Mark kind of organizes the task, and then Joe actually does the graphics, and Mark cleans it up and makes sure it works in the game. So those two have worked uh, uh, well together. Another person that I've, I've worked with for years is Rich Hamilton, who you now see as sort of a project coordinator for the group. He does technical support. If you email support at johntillersoftware.com, you're going to talk with Rich, and he is an invaluable support person because he not only is good with people and helping with problems, but he, he, he loves the games himself. He plays the games. So if you ask him a question about the games, it's like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's played that game. He, he knows the question, and he, and he does a good job of answering it. So I just thought I'd throw that in while we're talking. Well, um, out of all the games that you made, um, which, were the most, which one was the most difficult to make? Oh, you know what? I think it's it's it probably in this effort. What happens is as you get started, getting that ball rolling, it's always hardest in the beginning when you're breaking ground. So anytime, like the first battleground game, uh, what a struggle! And in the first campaign series, and and it's just gone on. Generally, when it's the first game in a series and you're breaking new ground, it takes a lot of effort to get the ball rolling. The same thing's true of the apps where the first app took a, a pretty significant amount of effort. Once that one's done, the next one becomes easier mm -hmm. and so forth. So I'd say in any of these, it's the first game in the series to get the ball rolling, and then things wow. get easier over time. Wow. Um, let's see what else I got. Um, what a, um, you mentioned you already have three projects, so that takes care of that question. Um, I was going to ask which current projects are you working on. You already answered that. Um, let's see. Here, I'll show oh. you something. Let me, let me show you something. I got, I got all, remember I told you I had props, so I've got <laughs> props here. Um, I want to also show you something that indicates how the industries change, because any given time you look at how 
uh, where things are. And you can say, well, how did we get where we are and what does that mean towards the future? And so here's a couple of props for you. I'll show you an evolution here. This was probably the culmination of the Battleground series. That's uh, Chickamauga Battleground 9. Yeah, this is about 1997 or something. Wow. I don't remember. But uh, copyright 1998, it says. So this one, you know, it used to be when you go into Best Buy, there used to be aisles and aisles of games like this. Oh, wow, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And these games would all be up there and, and on display, and you could just browse. And uh, those days are gone. It, things started shrinking. Shrinking in here, printed manual. When I went, when I went with HPS, we went to this format, this shrink wrap CD. Pretty yeah, I got a lot yeah. of those. Yeah, and you you would not believe when this format first came out. Uh, I remember being on the forums about 1999, 2000, and when people saw that this was the way things were going, they were infuriated. There really? were people, yeah, there were people who said, "I will never buy a game that doesn't have a printed manual." <laughs> never. <laughs> I think they had to change, but that that's what kind of revolution this was. Where the document you know, beautiful box good. art, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and, is beautiful box art. And I have to admit that I have uh, you know fond memories of a print manual myself, but all the documentation is here. But now um, it's all electronic. Well, I think these days, if you told somebody they have a printed manual, they'd say, "Well, dude, I mean that that's going to become obsolete. Uh, it's not going to be updated." Uh, I'll forget where I laid it, and so I think these days people actually uh, don't mind or may even prefer um, electronic documentation. And of course, if you ask me to show you what do your games look like today, the answer is that that's what my games, you know, that's what I'm selling today. It's a download. iPad, uh, iPhone. Yeah, it, or yeah, or it comes off of, a, of of the App Store or something like that, and it's never in any physical. Uh, form and so I think that's where we are today, but it's kind of neat because I can go out there and uh, put games on the internet and uh, they're readily uh, available and published and it simplifies things and um, but that's that's where we are today and that, I just wanted to show you how we got there I guess. Um, I wanted to ask uh, what kind of additional f or features do you plan? I mean um, since your first game to your current game, um, you've made uh, um, newer features, you added features and made changes to the games. Um, what kind of changes are you going to add to your uh, series um, in your next titles? Um, well, what features? You know what's going to happen, John, is that we we get excited by what people tell us. So, in other words, if somebody says, "I love your game," oh, I have to tell you another little little funny uh, story here. I guess uh, you know when I got started <coughs> in doing these games, I, I appreciated that people were going to like the games as much as I did. In fact. Uh, my working motto since the days of Talonsoft is that if you make a game that you like to play, other people will like it too. You know, yeah. if you make a game that you don't believe in, people see it. People, it's obviously not very good. It's not very. It's not much fun. They won't like it. So you never. You should never make a game that you think other people like, but you don't. You don't care for it. So you're always saying, "What would I like?" And by the same token, when a game comes out. <coughs> Uh, you know, you get this feedback, and someone will get. I actually got phone calls, like in the Talonsoft office years ago, and somebody would say, "I just got your game, and I played it, and I've got a list of things that's wrong. This is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong." And then they say, "I love this game. I can't stop playing it." <laughs> or I get a call. One time, I was in the office. We got a call from a guy, and he called in, and he said, "This, this is early in the morning." He says, "I just want you to know." I was up all night playing your game. I just called into work, told him I wasn't going to be in today. <laughs> and so, that's dedication. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah, they get they get inspired, and and so um, the people who like the games, you know, they'll tell you everything that's wrong with it, but that's because they care about it. So, you know, in in the same sense, when we hear from people what they say is important to them, we we do listen, we do think about it. We may not accept it, or we may say, well. That's possibly an option, but all those things do are uh, listened to, and uh, if we add a new feature, it's either something we felt strongly about or 
uh, we knew that people were saying, and you know, people watch the forums and they, they see what people are saying, and that people say, you know, we really want that, then that puts pressure on us to live up to those expectations. Um, going to your uh, going back to the mobile platform here, um, I've noticed uh, I think was it a couple of days ago um, that you actually released a couple of new games for the uh, for the uh, mobile platform uh, for uh, iPad and uh, Kindle and Android. Um, one of them is actually uh, Civil War Battles Antina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's if you go to the uh, apps mobile apps page on my website, you'll see that there are four categories of games or four series that we've come out with, Modern Air Power, Panzer Campaigns, Civil War Battles, and Modern Campaigns. Each of those is in a sense a mini version of the PC game. And so what, what I was able to find out uh, was that it's possible with, with mobile technology uh, the way it is now. I mean, you know, some, uh, I've actually got like six tablets. This is one of my favorites. It's a Nexus 7, new Nexus 7. And uh, but I also have iPad and all this other stuff. So what I found was these things had gotten to the point because we had tried this once before with iPhones and stuff, and, <clears throat> and things really hadn't gotten to the right point yet. But once the tablets start coming out, it's possible to actually develop a mini version of a full-blown game. And it it turns out it's a lot of fun. What what I found is with my developers like. Uh, Rich Walker and Drew Wagenhofer and Blackie Blackburn, as I mentioned, these guys have been doing games for years, and they get into this mobile format, and they're excited again. It's fun. It's they they take these scenarios and they they're generally small. They're not monster 300 turn scenarios, but they put them together, and they you know a small map because of the uh, physical limitations or the uh, uh, lim uh, memory limitations of the mobile. Uh, platform, but they put these things together, and we're all having a blast. I think that's the main thing I can tell you about the app development is that we're just having a blast doing them. And uh, people say, "Well, this this is a fad. This won't replace the PC." And I agree. I don't think it will. I think uh, the PC is always going to be here. But uh, for example, I have these games on my smartphone. So if I'm sitting in the doctor's office, or like you you said today, you're getting your car fixed, you're sitting there waiting for and in the waiting room, you know, you can pull out your phone or whatever, yeah. and you can play a few turns of the game, and, and then they say, <laughs> yeah, right, and they say, okay, uh, uh, your, your car's ready, and you go, okay, fine, you put the phone back in your pocket, and, and uh, you're good for ne uh, the next time. Is the uh, is Civil War Battles available on the iPhone? No, uh, and I'll tell you why, Jean. Uh, when I first started doing this, uh, I... I actually have a version that runs on the iPhone. I haven't released it because if you look at the iPhone, it's only got like a four-inch screen. Mm -hmm. And these games, they'll work on a uh, like a five-inch, like a Samsung S4 or 5, something like that. There's just enough real estate. But uh, I tell people uh, the Android version will run on a, any phone, most any phone you, you have. But really, you need a seven-inch uh, tablet to really... Um, you know, have enough real estate to, to, to feel comfortable playing the game. Good news is I've heard that Apple's coming out with a larger format uh, iPhone this, this year, iPhone Air or something, maybe up to 4.7. They really ought to go to 5, but uh, if they get to that point, I could maybe go back and support that um, that format. The one thing about the, like the Android platform that I, I always run into is, like, uh, I do... Um, a lot of uh, I noticed like one of my buddies had a had a Galaxy S3, and I was trying to get him to uh, a new game came out, and I was trying to get him to play uh, what was it? Um, might have been Grand Theft Auto, I think it was, um, and it wouldn't play on his Android phone, which was kind of weird because it allowed him to buy it, but it wouldn't play it. Um, yeah. And then I was I was looking into it, and it turns out because uh, they're all running different processors, different screen sizes. Um, you know, the developers have to tailor the game to each um, Android phone. Do you, do, you, do you feel like when you're, when you're designing um, uh, your war games, do you, do you have to tailor it to each Android phone? Or? No, but you have to make sure that you haven't, that you, you've estimated the kind of, you know, device that you want to support. What I do is I put out a free version of the game first, and then people can try that. If the free version oh, works, then they, then they can, with some confidence, turn around and buy the game. 
but you know I've had problems with uh, uh, iPads. We have uh, a couple of support issues that uh, are, are kind of stifling or stumping on uh, uh, iPad because every there there are iPads that have been configured differently, or some people have done something, and then some people. Gosh, we had this one guy. He was like iOS four or something. It's like, dude. Uh, people are going to seven. Have you heard of seven? And he was still on four. It's like I had to, had to. We just had to say, I'm sorry. I, it, well, we need iOS six or, or or seven, really. Yeah, I had some people actually come in with three. Uh, with three, I had one guy one time who walked in um, to the store with uh, version. Um, I think it was uh, two or version one. I mean, it was the first one that it launched uh, when Steve Jobs was on oh. stage. People had that software version. I was like, wow, you, wow, this is. Uh, you, you haven't upgraded for a while. It's like. No, I was like, I, I just been using. It. I was like, wow, that's. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, there there are some people who who don't like to upgrade. And I know what they're talking about. Like, I have this <coughs> friend and fellow that I work with, John Rushing. He's actually at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and we've been working together for years on Air Force contracts and stuff. He's a war gamer, but he's also adamant that he he does not want to upgrade unless it's absolutely necessary. And I know what he's talking about because oftentimes an upgrade will. You know, it's 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 a lateral. It makes things, um, you know, different, but not any better. I mean, you only all you have to do is look at Windows 8. And you know what I'm talking about? That yeah. it's not necessarily a better thing. It's just their idea of something different. So, he, but he's funny. He won't upgrade for anything. So there are people who who feel that way. I think other people just don't even. I don't know. They're they're not really thinking about it. And they just let. I think it also comes down to like when you upgrade. A lot of people worry that um, when you upgrade uh, your OS all the apps have to catch up after. So if you upgrade here and the app that you always use doesn't support that, then you're kind of like, oh, geez, what did I just do? So I guess people have um, that kind of uh, hesitation. Um, and that's why I probably, um, that's why Apple, I, I believe, does the um, uh, developer package first and puts it out in beta so developers can, you know, get it ready before the major release. And things maybe sometimes seem to be running slower with the upgrade. I know <clears throat> I'll tell you this about, about our products, we like I say, the games, every game that I've ever done is currently for sale. Uh, Matrix Games has re-released the campaign series and the Battleground series. That's from 1995. Even the uh, Panzer Campaigns games going back to 2000, uh, Campaign 77, it's not only for sale, it's been upgraded. So oh, nice. if, you, if you look at like Smolensk uh, 41, which was the first Panzer Campaigns, it's not the game that was released back in 2000. It is, yeah, yeah, it is more or less equivalent to the game that's being released today. And people, I think, get a lot of value out of that. If you buy a $40 war game, a good one, and you can play it for years, there's a lot of money, uh, you know, bang for your buck there in terms of entertainment value. So I think war gamers like that about their hobby. You might say they appreciate that. And, you know, I would sit down and play small imps uh, today with as much enjoyment as I did you know, 14 years ago. Gosh. <laughs> um, one question I have is, do you plan to um, move all, like, move uh, most of your titles to the uh, iPad? Like, um, one good uh, example is, like, for me, my favorite games are Pacific War, The Proud and a Few, uh, mm -hmm. 7076 is uh, another favorite of mine, um, and I would love to see them on the mobile platform. Is there any chance we can see something like that? Well, it's a matter of being smart about the platform. In other words, I'm looking at you right now on a screen that is, is however big as it is, and then we want to do the same, something like that on a screen that's this big. Mm -hmm. And so you sit down and you look and you say, well, I have 20 hexes here. I can have 40, 60 here. You have to be careful. Someone asked me today whether we were going to do Napoleonics, and I thought that that was a reasonable request, but you think about it. You know, the Battle of Waterloo, the Battle of uh, uh, Borodino, uh, you know, on a handheld, uh, you know, it might be a stretch. So the answer is you have to be smart about this. Squad battles, and to a lesser extent, Panzer battles, relies on ranged fire. And if you have a lot of real estate, then you can see the bullets, in a sense, flying back and forth. But on a smaller format, you know, if you shrunk it down to the point where you could see the action, the units might, might not be uh, distinctive enough. So uh, naval warfare is another case where things might be happening at a distance. And so I'm having to be um, smart, I guess I'd say, about the effort I put into that to make sure that the result is something that people 
would 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 appreciate. Now, of course, you just mentioned like a 13-inch tablet, but still, I I still want it to be something where I can pull my phone out of my uh, yeah pocket while I'm waiting to get a haircut and play a few turns. Yeah, I think 13 inches is way too big. I think um, I think Samsung's. I mean, I think a lot of these uh, manufacturers are obsessed with size. I mean, they're going 13. Eventually, they go 15, and they're going to go for like 20 inch tablets at one point. <laughs> I think there's like a right perfect spot right there where you have. Um, I think like 10 inches, like the max people want to carry, um, and that's why they have like uh, Nexuses at seven inch because that can even probably fit in your jean pocket. You know, and that that's very um, easy to move around with. No, no, you're not. You're not thinking right. What we got to do is we got to have coffee table tablets, right? They've even talked about this. Coffee table tablets, and then you all sit around and you play a, a game to collect. Did they have a that was a Surface, I think, right? I I don't know if they, if, if that's that's it, but that's I've heard that mentioned as something that's talked about at least. That would be kind of cool if they do something like that. <laughs> um, but obviously, you can't carry that around a lot. <laughs> um, well, at least you would want to. <laughs> Um, one other question I have, since we're talking about desktops and mobile, um, and I don't know if you want to answer this, but um, how how well are the iPad games that you're doing compared to the desktop games that you're doing um, in terms oh, of sales? That's an that's a that's a really good question, uh, Jean, because it gets to the heart of what is the app market, and the app market is not like other markets, like for the PC and things like that. It's a emerging thing, it's an evolving thing. People have looked at it, and I think people are still trying to come to grips with what is that market. When it first started out, you know, this is funny if you look back years ago, when the apps first got it started, uh, Stephen Jobs, I understand, didn't want any apps. He just wanted everything to be Apple. He didn't want any third-party apps, and the apps that he was able to support were going to just be links to websites. But then that whole thing opened up, and the initial apps, you could buy I have to admit, this, this I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to, to say this, but I actually bought like a 99-cent flashlight app when they first came out. And a flashlight app, if you've ever looked at it, it's like, it's like the first app you ever write. It just puts up a blank screen, and that's all this app did. I paid 99 cents for it. Now, of course, you go online, there's hundreds of free ones, and that's what happened. After these 99-cent apps came out, then it all went kind of free, and once it's free, then how are you going to get anybody to pay even 99 cents. Now, I have to admit, I'm guilty of the same thing. I see a hundred free versions of of an app, and I go, "Well, there's some that are, you know, two dollars, and there's these free ones. I'll, I can usually find a free one that I like." So then, wh where are you? Well, then they say, "Well, we're going to do some uh, advertising in the app," and then it's like, "Oh, geez, you know." So you, you, you then you start to bug the the customer and say, "Why don't you, you know, get rid of these ads? Give me 99 cents." And you get rid of these abs, uh, these ads, and so that was kind of un unsatisfying. What's happening these days is the so-called uh, freemium, the, the free to start, free to play, and then they start hitting you with the uh, in-app purchases, and that's generated a lot of tension on both sides of the uh, of the uh, the aisle here. In other words, the people who are doing the apps are starting to say, well. We've got to keep pushing the in-app purchases, and the customers are saying, look, this is getting ridiculous. You can't do anything unless you buy the in-app purchase. And I think now people are saying, is freemium the right model? And I don't know that that answer's been, question's been answered or what, what does work. So what I'm seeing with apps these days is the idea that some guy's going to ride an app in his basement and become a millionaire, I think is it, that, that doesn't exist anymore. And unfortunately, everybody's trying. Everybody and their brother has written an app. If you look at it, the stores are horribly cluttered with stuff, and it's just a mess. So uh, finding you know, a particular app in all that sea of, of stuff is, is the challenge. So what I do is I try to set it up so that the, the apps that I'm doing uh, are a uh, introduction in some cases to the PC game and I've seen it I've seen it working because people will try the app and say hey this is this is this is fun I like this and then it's like well there's a PC game with the editors with multiplayer capability uh, you can make your own scenarios you can play by email all that other stuff so it becomes a venue then to say hey well maybe I'd like to try the uh, the PC version and those two things work together in the same way you can have the PC version and still say, you know, I still want the app because then I can carry the game around in my pocket 
where I can take it to my kids' soccer practice and play a few turns during during that. So it's an interesting qu question. I can't really – it's an evolving thing, I guess I'd have to say. Some of my favorite games are the ones that, like, uh, allow you to play on a desktop, and then let's say, you know, you have to head out, go to work, what, what have you to do, and you pick up your iPad and then continue that same game you were doing on a desktop. I, I There's a few games out there that do, let you do that, and I thought that was really kind of cool. Um, where you can just go from your desktop to your tablet, and eventually if you're in a spot where, you know, you can't take out a tablet, you can take out your smartphone and then finish up on there, and eventually, you know, you can't go beyond that because... <laughs> well, that's a good way of putting it. It's a, it's this computing spectrum, and I think most people are going to be in that situation where they have the mobile technology when that's appropriate, they have the desktop technology when that's appropriate. It all works together. Neither one replaces the other. Um... So I just want to open up the last about uh, five, ten minutes to uh, fan questions. So uh, we have a couple of viewers in the audience. Um, so if you guys have any uh, questions for John Tiller, um, again, you can go to the left side, uh, a menu will pop up, and you can click Q&A, and it'll allow you to make uh, um, submit some questions. I did get one here from uh, Pew Pew Choo Choo. Uh, it's uh, interesting. Um, he says, which games in the squad battles and Panzer campaign series, would you recommend as the first game somebody would, somebody interested in trying out these games would buy without regard to front? Which ones are decently newbie-friendly and fast-paced? Oh, that's a good question. Let's see. Let me call up my, uh, my pages here. You know, in Squad Battles, that started out with the, uh, the Vietnam games. And if you look at, like, uh, Squad Battles Vietnam, that's interesting. Uh, modern warfare. You got uh, M16s, AK-47s, and helicopters, uh, which is fun. And that was the first one that I was done. And I would say that the approach there is pretty simple. As a result, um, the other ones uh, maybe get into more more detail. Um, it, of course, it depends. If if you're a, a fan of World War II, to me, there's there's no uh, there's no substitute for games like Advance of the Reich or Eagle Strike, where it gets you in as the Germans or Americans. And I was just looking at some Stalingrad scenarios today from Advance of the Reich, and, and that stuff is great. You have satchel charges and everything like that. In Panzer campaigns, you know, again, I would say, if you look at the first game that came out, which was Smolensk, that was done uh, with a certain level of detail that's not overwhelming. That was done by Sturm Smith, Greg Smith. Um, who did a great job of making a very playable game. And so Smolensk is a good one to start with, and it has some introductory scenarios that kind of take you through perhaps, uh, you know, some lessons of, of how to do certain things, like crossing a river and things like that. Then as you go along, the games probably get uh, more detailed. Um, but again, it depends on your interest because... Uh, there's Bulge and, and uh, oh, Market Garden. I have to mention that. If you're a fan of World War II, Bulge and Market Garden are just a hoot to play. Market Garden, of course, with the airdrops and everything. Um, uh, it's just fascinating, the dynamics of that. So um, I guess I would, those would be my suggestion at that point. The um, On your page here, you have... Uh just looking at here, um, numerous uh, titles here uh, uh, in the early American wars. Um, the Mexican-American War, I, I was just looking at here. Um, is that a new title that you just made? I, I haven't noticed that one before. Um, no, no, that goes back uh, several years. I just repackaged it. What it is, um, that um, that's kind of interesting. Um, it includes not only the Mexican-American War, which... Um, uh, has some interesting campaigns, but the designer of that actually took it upon himself to include the Texas War of Independence. Now, some people, their history isn't um, uh, good enough uh, that they recognize the distinction between, like, the, the Battle of the Alamo and the Mexican-American War, of which there is a very significant difference. I mean, one of my uh, one of my little questions when I ask people is, like, how many Americans died at the Alamo? And in a technical sense, the answer is zero. There were no Americans at the Alamo. The men that fought and died at the Alamo were fighting for Texas. They were fighting for independence from Mexico, not to be 
uh, not for uh, uh, you know freedom from the United States. They, Texas, in fact, of course, was its own country at one time, and uh, then became part of the United States. So, but if you look at it, there's actually a, a scenario or two on on the Alamo, and you can play that and some other of the battles from the uh, Texas War of Independence. So, no, that um, that's been out a while. The early American series is is interesting. You've got uh, French and Indian War of 1812 and Campaign 1776. So, yeah, there's a lot of lot of history there that goes along with those games. One uh, question: When I, when, I, when I start playing your game, especially the early American uh, um, series, um, one question that I had was: Do you ever think? Um, I mean, these are great tactical games, but do you ever think of doing like a strategic slash tactical game where you can? Um, control all the armies and let's say the Confederacy and then zoom down or um, go into like a tactical um, element and then fight out when you two armies get close? Oh yeah, definitely. I think about that all the time. There's two scales I haven't really looked at. One's the operational scale. If you've ever played like, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Stonewall's uh, um, Victory or whatever. I've got the game over there, but I'm con confined by my earplugs. But the uh, there's uh, the operational strategic scale are interesting to me, and now I'm trying to think of my time commitments. But there's another challenge there. If you look at the American Revolution, for example, the pace of that, you know, all of this time spent in Valley Forge and other encampments, and and then and then finally there'd be a very significant battle, and then they go back to their encampments. So the time scale is very challenging. There's a campaign game, which is part of these uh, tactical games where you can go in and you can fight a campaign. If you look at the Napoleonic Civil War and uh, early uh, American, they all have a campaign game where you can go in there and make high-level decisions about oh, yeah. how, how you would have done the campaign in the South, for example, in the American Revolution, how you would have done the uh, Gettysburg campaign on the basis of those decisions. Then you go into tactical battles and they uh, then feed up into the uh, into the higher level campaign game. So it's there, but in a in a simplified form, you might say, but in a way that's pretty effective because you you kind of jump from significant event to significant event, mm -hmm. avoiding all the time just sitting around in camp. You might say. <laughs> um, I got a question from um, Scott Howard. Uh, it says, "Hi, John. Big fan of your games." Uh, any chance that any future mobile games would uh, be would have pass and play multiplayer? Oh yeah, um, I'll tell you. We've looked into that. Um, we call it play by internet connection. In other words, it wouldn't be email based; it would be server based. And we've done a certain amount of development on that. Uh, John Rushing, who I mentioned earlier, has spent some time on that. We, we definitely, you know, are thinking about that. But again, I don't want to make any promises. I don't want to generate any expectations. It's a capability that we see would be interesting so that you pull out your phone and now you've got, oh, I've got a turn from this guy. I've got a turn from this guy. And then, then you're actually responding to their turns. And uh, no, that's definitely a capability. So I'm, I'm glad I heard that somebody raised that. You see, I mentioned before, Jean, about, about listening. You know, if somebody asks that question, then I hear it again from somebody else, and pretty soon we're thinking, you know what, maybe it's time to come out with that new feature. Um, I got another question from Andrew uh, Spin Spindler. It says, will the Total War in Europe series ever receive an update? Well, um, if by update you mean an update to the existing games, that, that happens on a regular basis, and I apologize if it hasn't been as often as... as uh, your expectations, but there's two answers to that question. One is, um, are we going to update the existing games? And the answer is yes, as we as we go along. The other answer to the question is, where are the other games that we've talked about, like uh, uh, War on the Western Front, War on the Eastern Front, and the total thing? And I will say that those things are being uh, worked on. I just talked with uh, Wig Graves the other day. He's our researcher. For he's Wig is the kind of guy who will go to the National Archives in D.C. and go down to the basement and dig out the German records from the war and, and compile all this stuff. So he's that kind of guy. He develops amazing detail. But he has been working on that 
all this time. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, John, the, the creative process, I guess I'd have to say, is nonlinear. In other words, when people work on something, it's usually in a burst, and there's a burst of activity, and then something happens, and then a burst of activity. And these things are not generally done on a schedule. Uh, people just don't act, you know, they don't work creatively that way. It's much more, I'll say, nonlinear given my math background, but other people just say it happens in fits and starts. So the point is that any series, you know, we, 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 nothing is given up on, but it may be in a lull and then we'll come back to it. And I'll tell you, um, you know, the fact that I had war in Europe out the, uh, today uh, gives you some indication that I'm thinking about that series again. There's a lot of un, unrealized potential there for lots of other wars that I have prototypes for. So I would say in general, that series, that game concept is going to see more things happening in the future, even if it looks kind of quiet right now. Cool. Um, does anybody have any other uh, last questions before we let John go? Uh, if you do, um, feel free to post it. Um, if not, I think I covered all my questions here. Um, yeah, I think we're good to go. Um, I think I showed you all my props, so I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I guess we'll end it up. Um, I think we went over a little over our time anyway. Uh, I think we're at like 50 minutes here. Um, but John, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate having such a legend on you, uh, a legend on the show. Um, and hopefully, I can get you uh, get you to come back and maybe perhaps in a couple months and go over uh, some of the new games that you came out came out with. Oh, that's great, John. Yeah, I, I really uh, enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. I hope other people appreciate it. I think this way of uh, doing things is great. It's the first time I've done this type of uh, interview, but it definitely impresses me. So, yeah, uh, definitely, John, you call me anytime. We'll, we'll do this again. All right. Thank you. Um, and I'll catch you guys all next time in the next episode of the Strategy Wargamers. See you then.